The Holy Gospel according to Luke. To you, O John. It's actually according to John, but uh, typo. So. The reading is uh, the traditional reading for the second Sunday in Christmas, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and without Him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent by God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning, we once again find ourselves coming toward the end of another Christmas season. Today is the ninth day of Christmas with its nine ladies dancing. Uh, That's not part of our worship this morning. Uh, And it is the second and final Sunday of this Christmas season. This Christmas may not have been what we had expected it to be just even a few weeks ago, but we've made the best of it and we've found some unexpected blessings along the way. Despite last-minute changes, travel challenges, at-home rapid tests, and more, the holidays are still such a special time. A time to step out of our regular routines, reconnect with loved ones, the time to indulge in sleep and food in a slower pace, time for longer conversations that deepen our relationships, and maybe some new experiences and adventures along the way. And now, inevitably, it seems we will be coming back down to earth as we look ahead to this week to returning to work and school and setting into our more familiar patterns and routines. But this morning's lessons, especially the gospel lesson from John, are praiseworthy of a coming back down to earth. And it reminds us that the meaning and blessings of Christmas extend far beyond these 12 days. This morning's selection from the Gospel of John is a classic. It is a sweeping passage in which John conveys the fullness of the revelation of God in Jesus. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, and all things came into being through Him. In Him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. 
To all who received him, he gave power to become children of God. From his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. It is beautiful, right? Biblical scholars generally agree that most of this passage comes from a hymn of that time, which is part of the reason for its poetic beauty. It may have been something that people would hum to themselves between Sundays. One commentator says that this reading is about God's inner self, God's loving heart, God's eternal fellowship spilling over out into the world. John is often considered the most theological of the gospel writers, whereas Matthew and Luke begin with the story of the birth of Jesus, and Mark skips that altogether. John begins way back at the very beginning, at creation, and he goes on to present a grand vision of the difference the incarnation makes in the life of the world. He will go on to describe for us in the rest of his gospel how the word Jesus performed many signs and miracles and healings and his greatest sign, his death and resurrection for the life of the world. This idea of the word becoming flesh may sound a little strange to us, but it would have made complete sense to John's community of believers. The word was the principal idea, the first thing, the source of all. And for John, for us, that's Jesus. And in so many beautiful words, John says that Jesus, the Word, in Jesus, the Word, we see what God is really like. This idea, this person, this ultimate thing takes on flesh, becomes mortal, slips into our skin, dwells with us and in us. And why? Because of God's immeasurable love for us. Back when I had my first interview to enter the ordination process, the very first step into becoming a pastor, a mentor of mine, Tad Meyer, who was an Episcopal priest and who would later marry us and preach at my ordination, gave me some really good advice. Tad said, when you go in there into that interview, always start with the incarnation, with the Word made flesh, God with us and among us in Jesus. Now, I have to admit that I kind of screwed that up. Uh, I actually misremembered what Tad said, and I thought he said, always start with the resurrection, which I did in the interview, and apparently everything just turned out fine. Here I am. <laughs> but afterward, I was so proud to tell him that I had followed his good advice. I said, I started with the resurrection, just like you said. And he said, no, no, no. I said, start with the incarnation. And in the intervening years, I've come to understand what good advice that is, not just for an ordination interview, but for life and faith, always start with the incarnation. Take as your starting point the belief that God is with us and for us. Take as your starting point that it is God's mercy to take on human form, that it is God's grace to join us in our joys and struggles as Jesus did, so as to know exactly what we are going through and what we are praying for, that it is God's desire to want to be with us so that we are never alone. Living in the knowledge that this life, this day, this moment, each moment is saturated with the presence of God, word made flesh, amplifies our hope and our joy. And it also makes what would be unbearable, bearable. It makes what would seem, what would seem impossible, possible. And it gives us courage because we know that God is there 
and has our back. Always begin with the incarnation. Each day, each morning, begin with the incarnation. God is here now with me and for me. Start there. And yes, you're going to screw up. And yes, you'll still find yourself uncertain and afraid at times, but you know that God is there because God loves us so much that it is God's greatest desire and joy to be in relationship with us. God is not offended by our brokenness. God is drawn to it, forgiving us and loving us and healing us and holding us in great love. God is there when we are sitting at work, plunging into a new year, when we are sitting at the doctor's office for that appointment that we figured that we could put off until after Christmas. God is there when it's 20 degrees out and we are plucking Christmas lights off the house. God is there as we start a new semester. God is there as we are getting our kids and ourselves back into a rhythm and routine. God is there as we are opening our email inboxes after a week off with just one eye open. This shift back to the real world happens in the story of Jesus, too. Today is the ninth day of the Christmas season, and Thursday is Epiphany when we recall how the Magi, the wise men, followed the star of Bethlehem and visited Jesus and Mary and Joseph and presented their gifts. But then immediately after their visit, Joseph is warned in a dream to flee to Egypt because King Herod plans to search for and destroy this child Jesus, this King of Kings. And so Mary and Joseph take Jesus and they flee to Egypt. And when Herod realizes that he's been duped, he kills all the children two years and under in and around Bethlehem. But this is where the incarnation starts to take root in a lowly manger. And then even amidst the horror and tragedy of this story that we hear echoed in our new stories today. This is where the incarnational rubber starts to hit the road. This is where the incarnation and what the incarnation is for. Yes, it's something to marvel at and behold, just like Jesus in the manger, like singing in beautiful ancient hymn of the word made flesh. But the incarnation is for our daily living, life lived in a world broken by human sin. It is the source of our hope and perseverance, our inspiration for loving and serving the world into more of what God intends for it to be. Jesus is the light that shines in the world's darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it, as much as the Herods of yesterday and today try to extinguish it. The light and hope remain. And John reminds us this morning that this is where God is in the midst of our real, mundane, messy sometimes painful lives and world. That is the promise of the Word made flesh, the promise of Jesus, that God knows our pain and bears it with us, knows our sin and forgives it, and knows that we are lost and saves us. Always start with the incarnation. Jeremiah uses vivid, incarnate, earthy images to describe how God will gather the lost, release the captives, restore abundance, and how God will turn our mourning into joy, give us comfort, and give us gladness for sorrow. Jeremiah witnessed firsthand the destruction of Israel and the exile of the Hebrew people to Babylon, and yet he communicated and clung to these promises. 
My old college chaplain, Hal Warlick, has said that Jeremiah responds to a people who live in resignation and that this passage chronicles the possibility of newness. Dr. Warlick goes on to say that Christmas is an act against exile. We are no longer exiled from God because of our humanity, but because Jesus took on our humanity, we are now united with him. We are no longer exiles, no longer alone, nor are we simply God's subjects and acquaintances, but now and always we are beloved children of God. This Christmas season will officially and liturgically draw to a close on Wednesday. But as John tells us, the reality of the Word made flesh continues to transform us and our world. It binds Jesus to the everydayness of our lives. So for those returning back down to earth and for those who find it hard to get off the ground at all, we take comfort in knowing that this is exactly where we encounter the God of heaven and earth. Always start with the Incarnation. And I want to close with a selection from an ancient prayer called St. Patrick's Breastplate, um, something I've prayed to remind myself of God's incarnate presence with me and for me. It often appears in collections uh, of prayers from the Celtic tradition, and you can find it anywhere online if you're interested in reading more of it or praying with it. It's St. Patrick's Breastplate, and this is just a portion of it that you might consider praying this week. Christ with me. Christ before me, Christ behind me, Christ in me, Christ beneath me, Christ above me, Christ on my right, Christ on my left, Christ when I lie down, Christ when I sit down, Christ when I arise, Christ in the heart of every person who thinks of me, Christ in the mouth of everyone who speaks of me, Christ in every eye that sees me, Christ in every ear that hears me. Amen.